era in independent art celebration. Indecent exposure. You were convicted of indecent exposure for the third time. That's exactly what it is, F. Dexter. It's four counts of indecent exposure. Hello and welcome to this 15th episode of Indecent Exposure at the Greylock Glass at greylockglass.com. My name is William McGuire and I will be your host today, Thursday, October 8th, 2015. Today we speak to Lexi Weege. She just released her second album, Sweet Moon, on September 13th of this year. She is a jazz songstress, a multi-instrumentalist. She is one of the many indie musicians who insists on recording live in studio, onto tape, and just to give us that little extra kick of nostalgia, she even mixes her albums to vinyl. She has some strong and refreshing opinions on the music industry and how the way that we record and listen to our music affects the way that it's created and affects how we think about it. We have a fantastic interview in store for you where we talk about the recording of that album, we talk about analog recording techniques, we talk about how women are treated in the music industry and in life in general. And Lexi provides us with so many stories that you don't want to miss. So, without further ado, we're going to get to the first track, the title track of Lexi Weege's album Sweet Moon and that interview with Lexi Weege, which, I should warn you, does contain some adult language. Sweet moon, sweet milky, milky moon, we found in love by the light of the sweet, sweet milky moon. It was a kiss, an innocent kiss. I never thought that I would ever feel your lips Oh, but I still blush when I hear your name I still seize when I smell your skin I'm still hungry for the flesh I, I can take I still burn when you touch my face I got a lover I got a lover Oh, she holds me so close And she fucks me like no I'm still hungry for the flesh 
Lexi, thank you for speaking with us at the Great Love Class. You just released your second album, Sweet Moon. Can you tell us a little bit about what went into creating that album? So basically, um, I had been applying for grants, and I had thought about a crowdfund for a little while. Back in um, as early as last last September, I, I had been thinking it was time to do something new, and I had started kind of like looking around for financial some sort of like cool crowdfund thing to do and then I just realized that I didn't want to have to deal with the stress of that and I began saving and saving and saving money and it's my full-time job so um all I could really do was just play shows every single night and that was probably the coolest thing I ever got to do is I just began playing every single night anywhere I could find that had live music and I met a lot of really wild characters and had some really awesome awesome shows and so finally, when I had enough money, I booked the studio time, and I looked around for the perfect studio, and I ended up finding Northfire Studio, which is in Amherst, which is sort of close to where I live. And I chose them because they had a really great analog tape set up. And so I decided at that point that I would do everything completely live to analog tape and press it to vinyl only, which was pretty awesome. So I called up Jack Pine for drums, who'd been my best friend since we were about nine years old, and I found um, Nathan Fay for bass. And we met up and practiced the tunes about two times. And then we headed into the studio in February and we recorded within, we took about four hours and recorded the three tunes, which were Sweet Moon, um, Hot Cakes, and Ohio. And we just banged them out completely live to tape and did about three takes of each tune and just picked the best. And I had them mixed to tape as well. And they were set disc makers in April. And I got the vinyl in um, the first week of September which was really great to get to hear it, to hear all those delicious analog qualities just spinning on the turntable was like something out of my wildest fantasy. It was really, really cool. And every vinyl is a different color. So I always ask everyone when I send a vinyl out or 
or I watch one of my friends open it. I'm always excited to see which color people get. But just analog tape is so incredible. It felt, when I got to hear the music, it was exactly how I wanted it to sound. And I've never had that happen with a project where what I put into it and, and how I created it, it came out exactly as I wanted it to. So I'm really, really proud of, of Sweet Moon. And I'm so happy with how it came out. And yeah, I love it. Yeah, and I think that comes through incredibly clearly on the uh, the Thank record. You. It's just very, it's very raw, yet at the same time, very polished. And it just has that quality, like you said, where you just feel like you're, you're surrounded by the music. You're in the room with us Thank when you're you. singing. <laughs> Thank you. And um, how do you find that recording on a tape, keeping everything analog, helps with your process when you're recording and like trying to, you know, really put down the take that you want the people to hear? Well, for me personally, oh, the live performance is the best aspect of what I get to do. And I really wanted that to come across. I've gone into sessions before where, you know, you hear the click track and you're going take by take. And I feel like that's not the way the song's ever going to be performed live. I always hate when I put in a CD and I listen to the artist. And the performance isn't the same as when I saw them live the week before. I, there's no consistency there. I felt like the only way to capture what I do and to capture who I am as an artist is to go in and do it live and see what happens. It may not be perfect, but that's the honest truth of what I'm doing. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of early jazz is great because of some of its imperfections or the things that... Oh, totally. Yeah, things that the artist didn't expect to happen because it's raw, it's unchanneled, and that's why we listen. Exactly, exactly. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, Robert Johnson? Oh, goodness. I love I love him so much, and I fell in love with him for that exact reason, and I, I continue to do what I do because when I first heard him, I was, let's see, I think I was maybe 16 years old when I was in school, and I had been taking a class on jazz and blues and the roots of American music. And, you know, in such a sterile, gross public school environment, you don't really get to be exposed to much art. But um, we were watching a movie, and I heard the first, you know, that signature Robert Johnson intro, and you hear, you know, I gotta keep moving, gotta keep moving, and it was Hellhound on my trail, and as a little, you know, post-pubescent teenager, to hear something so raw and real in a world where where music isn't that way anymore, it struck board with me. I Ever since then, ever since I first heard that one song, I've just, I've been trying to put elements of that into my music. It it doesn't take much. All he does is he's just singing and playing an instrument. It's just a man and his instrument. And it's so honest and pure. And and we still we still reference him so frequently in American music. I mean, that's all it takes. It's just the honesty of that. And yet somehow that's the hardest thing to really bring into a studio. It is. It's so hard to capture that honesty. I mean depending upon where you go, I guess, the studio can be kind of a daunting place. It's a stressful place for some people because you're trying to capture this piece of art that you've been composing and working on so heavily and you want to make sure that it comes across in the way that you had it in your mind. I feel like it can definitely be difficult at times. Does uh, does the studio environment intimidate you? Not anymore. I've, I've been working on sessions since I was I was young. 
so for me, it's it's exciting now. But when I first when we first put Virgin out, I was I was petrified only because I was I think 19 years old, and we did the same setup. We recorded live to tape when I did my first album too, and I had gotten my hands on these amazing musicians, and they were so good. That intimidated me as a young as a young kid. Just that I got to work with such amazing, amazing people. I remember going into the studio and being very nervous to work with these absolute masters of their craft. But now I, it's more of an exciting thing. I, I look forward to it so much. Yeah, I, I imagine it's hard to get over that feeling of sitting in there wondering, wait, you want to record with me? Why, why me? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's true. That is always... That is always the case, but I'm so privileged that I, you know, I do get to travel and do this full time. I get to meet so many wild characters and just people who are so amazing at what they do. It it's really inspiring to be thrown into the mix with such, such amazing, amazing musicians. Yeah, and while you're on the road and traveling, is that where you do your writing? I do some on the road. I I write all the time, really. I'm lucky that I feel inspired as often as I do. So was was Sweet Moon one of those albums that just just flowed naturally? You were just constantly inspired? I think I wrote the three tunes that are on Sweet Moon around the same time. It was a period of of inspiration, I believe. So yeah, I guess it just flowed pretty naturally. Yeah, can you tell I us? I have been touring and playing a lot. Mm -hmm. What's that? I was going to say, could you tell us what the inspirations were for that? Was there anything in particular that really made that album or and those three songs what they are? That's a tough question. I, I don't know if I could call up with anything clever to answer that for you. <laughs> <laughs> but I was feeling really inspired and I think that comes across. I guess um one of the things that was I was with um the first album I did when I was still working a normal job, I um I worked at the Salvation Army back in um I think it was two thousand thirteen or two thousand fourteen. Uh, 2013, there we go. And a piano came in into the shop. And when you work at Salve, you get a discount. And so I remember I was saving up my money, and for, I think, 30 bucks, I bought this really shitty upright piano. And all of my friends and some of my bandmates, or my drummer, actually, came over to the shop and helped me move the piano into my mom's house. <laughs> and um, we tuned the piano up. And, it, you know, it doesn't sound good. It's, it's a pretty shitty piano, but... Most of the songs I've written have been written on that. So I guess having that piano that was moved and tuned with love was an inspiration. Now that I think of it, most of my tunes have been written on that piano. So I guess you could say that piano was was very helpful in articulating the music and creating the music. Yeah, I mean, that's that's where pretty much everyone starts is with a bad piano or bad guitar. Totally. I yeah. never even had a piano. I, I had like a pretty shitty shitty keyboard I've been writing on for a long time and you know the songs were still good and I was still enjoying it but once I got that piano and it was my piano and I could just shut myself off from the world and practice and play and write as loud as I pleased and was uh when you got that piano was that at a point where you were already writing your own songs very regularly or was that like yes. right at the beginning yes it was it was um, at a point when I'd still been um, playing out and writing a lot, but I think just having that piano was so, so pivotal, so pivotal to my, to my creativeness. It just like, it really helped push things along. You have to feel the weight of the piano keys instead of like 
being locked upstairs in your bedroom with this really terrible keyboard that that sounds like like tinny and, and 80s-esque. Yeah, I can I can imagine. I mean, sometimes you uh you really need that sort of uh I I don't I don't I don't even know how to describe it. It's hard to describe. You just need that sort of low level humbling interaction with the music to really realize what you're about and realize what's important in your music. Absolutely. The Women's Songwriter Collective. I know you've been a part ah. of it and there's some fantastic women artists in it that uh, I'd love for you to tell us more about. Totally. Well, the Women's Songwriter Collective, the Women's Songwriter Collective was established about two years ago. Basically, we live, I don't know where, where you're from, but we live in the Pioneer Valley and we're so blessed. There's a lot of, a lot of awesome singer-songwriters. And, you know, one of the women in our group, um, or basically all of us kind of, we all had known each other from around and we all kind of mutually agreed upon the fact that, that women are forced to compete against each other and, and kind of most women choose to be competitive as opposed to, you know, joining forces and making music together. And so we all kind of got together and just started making music together and getting each other's shows and performing in the round and the effect that it had on us as well as the people who witnessed and, uh, and watched what we were doing was so special. The amount of, just to have that community was really, really pivotal, pivotal in my artistic development as well as the women in the group. It was really cool to watch each other grow and just by having this person patting, or these women patting you on the back and telling you you could do it just was amazing for every single woman in the group. Since the formation of the group, I've, I've these women do so many amazing things. We have, um, let's see, Krista Joy. She's kind of a, a folky country, Gillian Welch-esque singer-songwriter who's probably the kindest person I've ever met in my life. Lisa Marie Ellingson, who is a unbelievable guitar player. She plays the blues and a lot of older, old-time music. She's pretty awesome. Carolyn Walker is kind of um, 90s-tinted singer-songwriter music with some... And she can play just about every instrument under the sun. She she plays guitar and, and sings as well, but she plays violin on almost all of our songs. And that's been a real treat. I've never gotten to work with a string player before. And that's kind of the four of us. And now um, Katie Sachs was a founding member as well. She now lives in Austin, Texas. And she plays ukulele. And then um, Wishbone Zoe is also a founding member. Neither of these women play with us really anymore as they've kind of been touring a lot. Wishbone mm -hmm. Zoe is kind of a a punky singer-songwriter, plays banjo and guitar, total badass, and an amazing visual artist as well. And it's great to hear you talk about them so admirably um, after yeah. saying that it is it is really hard for women to, you know, get a supportive environment going Um not only because, you know, sometimes there are competitions, but between artists, but it seems like sometimes they're just pit against each other. They are. And we live in a world that just doesn't honor us. They look at us as women first, as opposed to admiring us and respecting us as artists, which is so frustrating because you feel as though you have to tone down your sexuality or tone down your art is not to be offensive. As 
and to appear quote unquote ladylike. But fuck that. I mean, being with these women has really allowed me to be myself in the most amazing, offensive, sexual, rock and roll way. And I never have to tone it down. And I can be myself. And that's the most valuable thing that this group of women has given me. And I'm so thankful. So you're you're saying that the way to uh the way to really make women artists a presence not because of their womanhood is to embrace their sexuality. To say we're women, we're here and we're artists, but that doesn't mean that we're not still just awesome women at the same time. Totally. You just have to be yourself and it's a bummer that more women, regardless of if they're artists like Whatever they are, if you're a woman, you're a lady doctor, you're a police officer, you're whatever you are, if it sucks, or even just, I don't know. What I'm trying to say is just that I feel like if more women just were able to feel comfortable in embracing who they would be unfucking stoppable Totally unstoppable. And I don't think there's anyone who can, uh, who doesn't want that. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about um, your roots beyond Robert Johnson? What uh, what inspired you beyond the piano to make the music that you would write on the piano? Um, hmm. Let's see. Well, I guess it all started when I was eight years old. I got my first professional gig singing a Barbara Streisand tune, Secondhand Rose, in this kind of vaudeville production. And ever since then, I've always had a love of things that were older and, and more honest and true. And, and as a little kid, to get up there and, and do what I was doing, I felt so in tune with myself and who I was supposed to be. So I had always been, been doing this. But I didn't really start... I mean, as a little kid, you know, ideas come to you. But I didn't really realize that this is a thing that you could write your own music and, and do it until I was maybe 10 or, or 11 years old. And I actually started trying to write... I wrote lyrics, and, and they were more... They were pretty, let's see, I suppose they were more rock, rockish type of lyrics. And I started playing in, in rock bands at that time when I was about 11. And that was, that was pretty surreal. All this, this pubescent energy just flowing forth. And then, you know, that ends as it often does. And I, I started singing more jazz and blues stuff throughout middle school and high school and and here's where I am now. But as far as influences go, Billie Holiday and Robert Johnson were always quite prevalent in my high school years. But as a young kid, I remember my mom always had the Beatles blasting. I think the first album I remember her her playing was Please Please Me. I just I remember the two the Lennon McCartney harmonies in that song being so interesting. And as a kid, I would try and figure out both parts. I would try and do the melody, and then I would have to figure out the harmony. And I would I wouldn't rest until I I could figure out what they were doing which was pretty great. Let's see what else has influenced me. I love old country music, which is kind of funny because up until recently, I, I've been starting to write a little bit of country-style stuff. But whenever I travel, Hank Williams and Jimmy Rogers are always blasting in my car, much to the annoyance of, of some of my partners who travel with me who, <laughs> who are not quite partial to yodeling. And Patsy Cline as well. Patsy's always been a really big influence for me. Yeah, and that's the that's the thing that's interesting about uh, listening to Sweet Moon and listening to Virgin is you can hear, at least for me, I can hear the Billie Holiday. I know it's there, but it's hard to put you know pin down because I also hear the rock in there. I hear all of these different styles 
coming into one. And I'm wondering, like, do you call yourself a jazz musician? Because it is jazz music, but there's a lot more inside it. I've always had a hard time classifying what I do because I love so much music and I feel like that so many different kinds of music and I feel as though that really does come across in what I'm doing. So I feel like jazz and blues is the easiest way to explain what I do, but I guess it is kind of hard to put a label on it. Especially since recently I've been listening to more Rush than anyone should possibly listen to. And as of right now, my biggest influence is Getty Lee. I feel like that's really hard to like, and I feel like maybe that doesn't come across in the music, but it's so hard because I love, I love so many types of music. It's, it's hard to kind of single out one genre that you want to do or one genre that you want to call yourself. Yeah, and it sounds like you spend a lot of time trying to explore and find new musical influences and new bands to adore. Oh, absolutely. I'm always on a quest to find. Even um, this last tour, my travel partner, he had some of the most amazing CDs in his car, things I'd never heard of that I wouldn't have expected to resonate with me. But throughout the tour, we found ourselves like going back to the same CDs and just just enjoying this music I never knew existed. And that's the brilliance of the world that we live in today, is that music is so accessible. You can hear so many different types of music and, and meet so many different musicians. And still there's always more. You're never going to run out of music. Yeah, I feel spoiled nowadays when I listen to uh, professors or even um, just older friends, your musicians, talking about how they used to go down to the record store and have you know, their arms as full of records as they could. And I can get more music to myself just by opening up Spotify on my computer. Yeah, <laughs> totally. That is, we are totally spoiled. But at the same time, I feel like that does take away from, from a lot of the magic that's in music. I was explaining to someone recently about, you know, how, how different it is when you go in, let's see, MTV used to, or VH1 used to play this show, um, Behind the Music. And I remember when um, they speak about Kurt Cobain going into the studio and recording something in the way, how um, the moment was just so perfect that he was sitting on the couch and he was playing the guitar and singing that the engineer just, just said, you know what, we're going to do this right here, right now. And in the control room, put the microphone up to the guitar and just mic'd it and had him play right there. You don't hear these stories anymore about the magic of a session or the magic of, of recorded music anymore because there really isn't as much not just being captured when you try and capture it in this artificial way. And you're, uh, you're, you're one of quite a few indie artists who are trying to rebel against that, refusing, totally. to, uh, refusing to let anyone tell you that the, uh, the old way of making music is on its way out. Because it's not. And I mean, everybody makes art differently. There's so many awesome capabilities with the technology that we have, but that you can do so many really cool things that, you know, back in the day you never could have dreamt of. And I totally support that and agree with it. But at the same time, there's a beautiful, magical way of making art that is slowly being lost. I'm so happy to hear that more artists are embracing it. What Jack White is doing is absolutely awesome. And, and all the stuff that David Grohl is doing at Sound City is spectacular. I'm so happy to hear that, that this way of doing things is, is still relevant. We're very lucky. Yeah, and the the nice thing about uh, digital is that you can still record on tape, you can still record on analog, but then you can also make sure you don't lose things. You can, you know, keep the archives and make sure Absolutely. that... Absolutely, and that, yeah. that's awesome. 
Um, I don't know if you had any thoughts about ways that digital technology can be used to help analog without getting in the way. Uh, well, I mean, I think it is pretty great, you know, that just in case something does happen, you're not going to lose it. I mean, that is pretty great. And to have archives is pretty awesome. Yeah, and personally, I love being able to go on Spotify and listen to songs that were recorded, you know, by, like, Louis Armstrong live in the 40s. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. A, a vinyl of. That's so true. Even YouTube, I've been so pleasantly surprised by by YouTube and the stuff that I found. I found this Lucille Bogan song on YouTube called Shave Em Dry, and it's just this really vulgar, disgustingly sexual song that this woman is singing about just wanting to fuck people. Like, And this is a, you know African-American woman in the 1930s just saying like how bad she wants to be fucked, and I think that's wicked awesome. I never would have found it without YouTube, and you should totally look up this song if you haven't heard it, by the way. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna write that one down. That's that sounds like the type of thing you don't want to lose. Oh no, absolutely not. <laughs> what do uh what do you use to to find new songs? Then is it a combination of YouTube and CDs or? Well, I'm very blessed here in the Pioneer Valley that I live within maybe ten miles of so many awesome record stores. I still do. I go crate diving once a week, which is very unfortunate for for the the lovely man I live with because our apartment is scattered with vinyl. I still love, I found, um, let's see, the most recent find I really loved was an, a Loretta Lynn album called I Remember Passing, and it's an album, the, the A side of the album and half of the B side is her covering a bunch of Patsy's most famous tunes, but at the end of the B side, Loretta gives an interview about what it was like to be friends with Patsy Cline and how much she loved her and and how much Patsy's music touched her and how privileged she was that Patsy is a friend. And to get to hear this interview, this I I was brought to tears by the interview. And the album only cost me 10 cents. I mean, yeah, I never would have discovered this amazing heartfelt album and interview if I hadn't gone crazy diving that day. So I still do go to the record stores a lot, especially since I found that. I realized that there's so much... It's like treasure hunting. Is that why Sweet Moon and um, Virgin are pressed to vinyl so that in the future someone can head down to their record store or be looking in their parents' collection and just see your album sitting there amongst all of the others just ready to be put on the uh, on the deck? I suppose that's definitely something that I would love to see happen. I, I personally just love vinyl so much, and ever since I was a kid I've been collecting. So for me it was really a dream come true to, to have this, to be able to do this. It was kind of a, it was totally a dream come true because there's something so beautiful about holding it in your hands and, and flipping it over and, and looking at the art and seeing the lyrics. And anytime you get an album that folds out and it's like a double-sided thing and there's like extra pictures and lyrics, it's, it's so exciting. I, I get so excited about this stuff. And then they come in different colors, and you get to watch the picture spin when you put it on the on the turntable. It's there's just so much magic to it. I'm I'm such a corny girl. I feel like I've said the word magic like 80 times in this interview, <laughs> but but it's true. Is music is magic. Music is it's so great, and to be able to actually have this big tangible piece of of art, basically that you get to own forever and ever and ever, and no one can take it away from you or delete it from your iPod. 
it's awesome. Yeah, and it's just like, it's like having a present just in your hands, and you get to just look at it and imagine what it's going to be like to hear it, and there's just not that sense of anticipation when you're typing in your favorite band's name on Spotify and clicking the play button, and then it's just right there for you. Totally. Totally. It's not like you, you didn't earn it. When you told me the story about, you know, your older mentors who, who hold the, the really heavy armfuls of vinyl and are excited to bring it home, I love hearing stories like that. Because that's work. you got to get on your knees and you got to, you know, go through everything. It's always worth it. It's always, always worth it. So can you tell us a little bit more about what's in the future for you, uh, either with the Women's Songwriter Collective and with you, Lexi Weege, as you uh, go on after releasing your uh, your second album, your second release? Let's see. Well, I plan on touring a lot this year. I've Ever since I got back, like yesterday, I've already been starting to plan my next touring route, which I want to go out. I want to drive across the country and go to California and... I want to visit one of my best friends in Tucson. I want to. I want to see the country very badly. I feel like. I feel like our country is a really beautiful, geographically beautiful place, and I want to see it. I especially want to check out Alaska, and I'd love to tour Europe. Sure, that'd be pretty awesome. And I want to. Um, and all while I want to. I've been starting to collect a lot of songs and write a lot of new songs for an album. So I guess I would love to just tour my fucking face off and put out a full-length album this time, and yeah. press it to vinyl as well. I'll make a big giant awesome vinyl and it sounds like it sounds like that touring and that live performance is still going to be a huge part in the production of that oh album. totally 100 percent. i it was such a rewarding experience to get to just to capture who each musician was on the vinyl and to be able to hear that shining through in that live setting i wouldn't trade that for anything now virgin was um Incredibly, incredibly raw, and has a lot of similarities to Sweet Moon. Do you see anything changing as you're working on a new album and as you're going on these uh, new tours? Well, on both, um, well, there was no guitar on Sweet Moon, and there was guitar on Virgin, but it was more like it wasn't like a key point in the album. I would love to incorporate more guitar because now when I'm playing with, when I do play out with a band, I I like to have a guitar player now, which was something I didn't. Not that I didn't want to before, but wasn't something that I did, really. So I guess on the new album, I'd love to have to feature more intru- instruments. And I myself have been playing guitar, and I've been writing a lot of music on that. So I can't wait to incorporate incorporate that in the next album as well. And I'm sure we all can't wait to hear it. Can you tell us where we can uh, <laughs> go find, to find more about uh, you, your music, and uh, to keep up with the uh, latest news on the album and the tours? Sure, you can just head to LexiWeeds.com and, and that uh, will tell you everything you need to know. All right. <laughs> um, well, I want to thank you very much, Lexi Weege, for talking to us at the Greylock Glass, and I wish you a fantastic day. Thank you, you too, friend. And, of course, a huge thank you goes out to Lexi Weege for speaking with us at the Greylock Glass. For controlled exposure today, we have music by Lenina Z. Specifically, a demo track of hers called So Full. Lenina is currently studying music production at Langara College in Vancouver, but her music already sounds like it has experience, it's polished, it's 
very finished, and we expect great things from the EP that she's currently working on. That should be coming out soon. And of course, you can find more information about her and links to her SoundCloud and website in the show notes. My name is William McGuire III, and it has been a pleasure being your host for this 15th episode of Indecent Exposure. If you like this episode, check us out online at greylockglass.com, subscribe to our weekly email, Prism, and follow us on iTunes. Thank you again for listening. to say thank you to our sponsors of this episode, Berkshire Farm and Table, creating stories from the journey between farm and table through unique and delicious culinary collaborations in western Massachusetts, the Hudson Valley, and northwestern Connecticut. 
visit them online at berkshirefarmandtable.org. Sadly, our good friends over there are putting the cap back on the summer of Greylock Gin, which has been a season-long series of craft cocktails served up at different locales throughout the county, of course, all made with Greylock Gin, created by those great folks at Berkshire Mountain Distillers in Sheffield. Now, the very final event of this season is the Mix and Mingle, which takes place Monday, October 19th from 6 to 8.30 p.m. It's a fall celebration uh, with craft cocktails shaken and stirred by an ever-changing mix of pros. Uh, I mean, we're talking rock star local mixologists from places such as the Red Line Inn, Hotel on North, uh, John Andrews Farmhouse, uh, Methuselah Bar and Lounge, Allium, Guido's Fresh Marketplace, Meze Bistro and Bar. It's going to be quite a night, and there's going to be fantastic food prepared by fire-roasted catering, and it's all going to take place at the Berkshire Mountain Distillers Tasting Room at 356 South Main Street in Sheffield. Uh, this event is the first ever fundraiser for BF&T, so be sure you RSVP by Friday, October 16th. Guests must be 21, obviously, and you can get more information by going to BerkshireFarmandTable.org, or you can follow the link in our show notes, which will take you to uh, Eventbrite, which is where you're going to get tickets for this. So again, thanks to our sponsors, Berkshire Farm and Table, 